My name is Dr. Nate Shannock. And I'm Merrick Egber. This is the official podcast of the Ells for Autism Foundation for Autism. We call our podcast this because it's a play on our foundation's name and Merrick and I are both terrible golfers. But we love how golf has become such a transformative tool to helping people with autism. When I'm not on the podcast, I'm part of our growing research team and a tennis coach. And when I'm not part of the podcast, I'm an administrative assistant filling in the gaps of each department like glue. I am also autistic. Can you believe that this is our 16th episode of the podcast, which is called Stretching Autism? Can you believe it, Nate? This is our 16th episode. That is quite a milestone. Hard to believe. Yeah, we feels like just yesterday we were recording our demo episode during lunch. And in November, we'll be having our 20th then, which is crazy to think about. Let's get it. So as usual, what we hope to do is to present news and updates about our foundation, interviews or feature stories that play a big role with us and with the community as a whole. Speaking of which, we also have our Today in the World of Autism segment, where we posted the news and current events reflective of the world we live in today. Also, check our show notes for websites, resources, and other groovy things we would like to have on the written record for all of you for autism fans. So starting up, here are some news and updates about the Foundation. Before we begin, all contact information will be on our show notes. Tune into our last episode, episode 15, where we talked about the Autism Spectrum Award and our official program providers program with special guest Joshua Deersey Deer, our first ASA winner back in 2015. It was a great show and the first time we had someone with ASD on our podcast, excluding me, of course. For this episode, I would like to give two shout outs to two programs that our special guest Kelly Coots has been in charge of that I have volunteered to lead. The first one is the Spectrum Book Club. Every Tuesday from 9 to 10.30 a.m., we have a group of clients get together on Zoom to participate in reading through the chapters of Harry Potter books. We are currently on book three, The The Prisoner of Azkaban. Once we get to a certain point in the chapter, it switches from every participant taking turns reading to taking turns answering related questions devised by me. We're always taking in new clients for this program, so please contact Kelly Coots when you can. Every Wednesday, 4.30 to 5.30 p.m., Kelly Coots and I have worked on a program that would allow our clients to still feel connected, even on a virtual basis, through Zoom. It has been called the Connections Club and has been successful at forging new relationships between participants. What we usually do is we celebrate our day of meeting engage in readings on important physical and mental health facts, engage in exercising, play, playing a game, and ending it with dancing. We always take in new clients for this program too, so please contact Kelly Coots when you can. Another program that we have is we will be having our new game night on July 9th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. on Zoom, where we can engage many of our clients in a series of games. Every second week on a Friday, with exceptions permitting from 7 to 8.30 p.m., we will be having these fun times with Howard Thomas, our employment coordinator, 
or my co-host for these events. Make sure to contact him or Trudy Syak, our adult services director for more details. While at home, it is still important to learn about life skills to better improve your progress at home and progression in the community. Our adult services department oversees this program every Friday from four to 5 p.m., which engages in social skills and interactivity, increased day-to-day skills, learning how to cook excellent foods, some important facts and a special skill that one can use at home or in the community. If you're interested in this program, please contact Trudy Zayak when you can. Next item on our agenda is about the Spoken Wheel Society. For the first time in over a year, our social group for adults of autism, the Spoken Wheel Society, will be able to do our activities on campus and off for the month of July with our first on-campus event on July 9th. Traditionally, what we have done for each month was to hold an on-campus event and an off-campus event. As it is with everything COVID-related, we realized our strengths and how easy it was to adapt our format to a virtual setting. Every Friday, we would have it take place on the Zoom platform from 12 to 1 p.m., where we would share experiences and play games. Our well-established group will be playing different games while engaging in store-bought food and drink for July 9th and for Saturday, July 17th, I mean, Sunday, July 25th, we will go out to a restaurant that has outdoor seating. If you are at all interested in this group, please contact me, Andrew Loden Malone, my partner in this venture when you can. Next item. So for Americans, the biggest holiday in the summer season would have to be our Independence Day, July 4th, when the United States rallied against the British crown to declare its independence. To celebrate the holiday, I traveled up north to the oldest continuously run city in the United States, St. Augustine, which has been around since 1525 with the majority of the time being under Spanish rule. Remember that Florida was not one of the original 13 colonies and became a state in 1845, almost 70 years since the Declaration of Independence was ratified. I got to see some historical sites, got to have pancakes that were made from scratch, and had some quality barbecue. I really enjoyed it. Nate, how did you celebrate July 4th? Well, happy Independence Day, everyone. It was, uh, it's always a great day, great to celebrate our freedom. And my 4th of July was spent, as it usually is, having some good barbecue with family. And it was a hot one, so uh, a little bit of jumping in the pool also. But um, I want to say wow to all the exciting upcoming events that we're offering through the Ells for Autism Foundation. It's, um, it's great to see so much, so much going on, and I hope you all will, will check it out more for yourselves. Okay. Well, thank you, Nate. So this schedule for the month of July has the Golf Challenge heading progressively north until we reach back into Canada. If any of you don't remember, the Golf Challenge series is our big golf tournament fundraising event. It's our biggest fundraising event of the year. And it goes from the US to Canada and many different parts of both countries. So what a busy schedule we have here. On July 19th, we will be at Gladstone, New Jersey in Maple Plains, Minnesota at the Hamilton Farm Golf Club and the Winstone Farm Golf Club, respectively. And on July 20th, we will be at the Angus Glen 
Golf Club in Markham, Ontario, in Canada. Please be sure to contact Paige Scholar, or I mean Paige Thomas, our events manager and Golf Challenge Superstar for more details. Now, the last one is a tribute to how we've uh, adapted to the changing times because we've been having our summer camp annually. Even last year, we had it all virtually, but our great summer camp program called the Moving and Grooving Summer Camp is being held at the time of this recording, and this time it is all live. Many thanks to Kelly Coots for supervising our summer camp experiences and for coming up with ways to entertain our campers. So <clears throat> this uh, summer camp program we have can be so popular that the individual being enrolled will probably have to go on a wait list for each year we've been holding it. As mentioned before, please contact Kelly Coots when you can. All right. For this episode, we would like to welcome Kelly Coots to our show. Her official title with us is Recreation Services Coordinator, but her unofficial title is 110% Idea Person. She always has input and feedback on so many different levels, which shows her passion and care for her position and for the foundation she works for. While follows may bore you, but here it goes. I'm not sure if Kelly is a corn husker, but she graduated from the University of Nebraska at Omaha with a bachelor's in therapeutic recreation. She has spent quite a long time since volunteering in high school, working with individuals with intellectual disabilities and believes that every part of therapy and psychology can be chained together in a variety of recreational activities. The only thing she can't do is to name 10 fans of the Olivia Newton-John Gene Kelly musical Xanadu. <laughs> being, hey. being who she is, she leads a large variety of programs from sports to the arts, to exercise to our camps, to social programs, and our volunteers appreciate her. Kelly also works with professionals, educators, and artists in the community to create new opportunities for individuals to participate in recreation and leisure activities. So thank you, Kelly, for being on our show tonight. Well, thank you for that very lovely uh, introduction there, Mary. Hopefully everyone will understand the importance of Xanadu <laughs> in our lives. <laughs> Great intro, Merrick, as always. And Kelly, uh, I'd like to give a special thank you for to you for joining our show. I have gotten to work firsthand with Kelly on the tennis program at the L Center, and uh, it's one of the most rewarding things I've done. And I see the impact you have on the participants and the families, and it's truly so much fun to be a part of. Well, I feel very, very fortunate um, to have found the L Center um, after moving to Florida. Now it'll be four years ago. Um, and to work with such an amazing team of people from you know, therapists to, um, to people who are you know, advocating for um, individuals and their families to the marketing team. I mean, the L Center, um, the L for Autism Foundation is truly a 
a, like a, like a second family. And we, you know, um, like any family, we're all working together to, you know, to support each other and to really make this a, a place that is just full of um, community and resources and, and a place for people to feel safe and, and find new adventures, new friends and connect. Absolutely. It's a really special place. Well, I, Kelly, I was first hoping you could, uh, could you speak a little bit about why you were motivated to work with individuals with disabilities, particularly providing recreational opportunities to them? Um, when I was in high school, I was a junior in high school. I started volunteering in one of the classrooms in my high school. Um, on Wednesday mornings, I got to go down with um, the other, my fellow students who were in the special education program and we worked on life skills. And so Wednesday mornings, I got to go make breakfast um, with these students. And it really inspired me to, to kind of see where this would go. I had a wonderful year doing that. And at the end of my school year, my school counselor told me about a camp called Camp Monroe that I should check out. And I, I, I spent my first, uh, my first summer in 1985, I started volunteering at Camp Monroe and stayed there for 32 years, basically. Um, I started as a volunteer, then I became a staff member. And when I went to college, I first, you know, thought about going into special education, but I continued to work every summer at camp and found out more about recreational therapy. And that's what kind of led me on my path. So really my volunteer experiences led me to become a recreational therapist and um, taught me so many skills. And I um, was able to meet so many people in my community that I would have never known through this volunteer experience. So it really shaped what my life has become. Very interesting. And growing up, I'm just curious, were there any sports or rec activities that you were especially fond of? Um, uh, I did play like through elementary school and junior high. I did, you know, I did kind of, I played basketball. Um, I did some track. I took ballet and tap um, and those kind of things, but not so much as a, such an organized sport like there are today it was more of recreational sports. Um, in high school, I did do, so I did track in high school, but, um, and I've, I've played golf, uh, I played golf since I was 12. Um, golf was something I did with my dad's and my grandfather. So it was always a very special thing. I never really played on a team or anything like that. It was more of a family um, activity that we shared together uh, with my father, my grandfather. So sports has always been something I've done, um, but not in any giant way. It's been more of a recreational, you know, component of my life, you know, having that activity, meeting other people, being part of a team. Um, that's what I've really enjoyed about sports in that, you know, in that capacity is it's kind of a wonderful vehicle to create new social relationships. Absolutely. Sounds like there were many sports and activities that you were involved in, which is not surprising. Um, 
So Kelly, what are some of the most important teaching strategies when working with individuals with autism, whether it be sports, music, or something like arts and crafts? I, I think one of the things that I really strive to do um, is to make each class um, kind of a, a unique, fun experience. You know, we do, you know, having those established routines, having that established schedule is the great foundation. So everybody, you know, feels comfortable being part of the class. They know what's going to happen. But at the same time, also having maybe those moments of um, improv in a way where maybe we, you know, do a new skill or try a new game or, um, you know, come up with a new way to greet each other and stuff. So having that, that routine to be that foundation, but then building upon that foundation constantly with maybe trying something new or adding a little um, bit of variety into everything we do. Because I feel like then it brings people back. And it also, I feel that um, having that little bit of variety also allows people to maybe stretch and grow a little bit. So when you and I were doing, you know, tennis, Nate, and all of a sudden we decided to, uh, you know, play, you know, doubles. Sometimes we saw skills that we didn't see happening in when more of the practicing of, you know, the different swings and things like that. So I love that in recreation, we can be, um, that we can have a little bit of different flow every class. We can kind of you know, maybe push something a little bit more on this, you know, maybe, maybe we're going to serve a little more this time. And, you know, next time we're going to do something a little bit different. So I think it's great to allow people to kind of maybe start to see where their talents lie and maybe so what some of their strengths really are by having that kind of opportunity to learn something new in a very safe and supportive environment. And I know from working with you, Kelly, that, um, one of the big important things is to make sure that these clients, these individuals feel like they're important or feel like they're uh, liked, that they have some kind of, uh, you know, community with us and with the entire world. I mean, that thing that you would do at the end of Connections Club, which <laughs> I have adapted to um, is to have everyone say that they're awesome. And for other people, it's sort of like, yeah, well, it's just a short esteem boost. But we're talking about individuals who really, really need that kind of, uh, you know, a kind of greater respect and that kind of greater uh, reverence for themselves in, in the world and knowing that they are all very special, unique, and awesome people. No, you're exactly right. And that's one thing I think that's so important about all the programs that, you know, we have kind of created through the recreation department is that you don't have to be good at everything. There might be every, every program, there's something that somebody's good at. Maybe and or maybe someone's better at drawing than versus painting. Maybe in tennis, someone has an awesome backswing versus a forehand. In golf, maybe you're really good at putting, but you know maybe your chipping is something to be working on. And that's what I really love about recreation and sports is that you can find those things in in any of these programs that your talents and you can you know 
kind of use those talents in a, in a new way, but at the same time, you can still build upon those talents and those skills. So I, that's what I really love about what we do. You know, we're not, it's not competitive really by nature and stuff. It's really about people coming out together, finding, you know, doing something fun that they have in common, you know, being able to socialize, being able to make friends and, and find some success and find some, you know, confidence or pride or, you know, all those things that sometimes even all of us struggle with is, you know, that moment of feeling really good about yourself and feeling like, and, and just knowing, you know, that you were very present in the moment and, and bottom line, you, you had a, you had fun. And that's really what it is about. It's about us building a community of people um, to enjoy being with each other, to enjoy a variety of activities. And every day people can, you know, the individuals who participate go home and share that with their families. So I feel like this sounds very strange, but I feel like there's a real ripple effect in recreation. It may start with the participants on the golf course or on the tennis court, but that that good feeling, you know, doesn't stop when they leave, you know, the course or the court, it ripples out. So when they get in the car, they tell their family about what they did. And then their family, you know, mom and dad maybe share that, you know, that experience with, you know, their friends or other family members. So it does, those really positive experiences ripple out to, you know, touch so many lives. Kelly and Merrick, I think you both alluded to something very important. And that's uh, the idea with recreational opportunities that it, these activities, they can really be great uniters, right? When we think about uh, events going on in the world, like a World Cup or an Olympic type situation, you get people from all over the world finding common ground and just enjoying sports and activities. And in the sense of our community, it, it can be um, a child and maybe a sibling or, or a family member finding this common ground that, that maybe they, they don't have necessarily in other areas of life. Um, and, and these activities, they're just so great for facilitating uh, that communication and that connectedness. And I, you're, you're completely right, Nate, because I also think is, you know, there's even a language within our community. You know, we, we live here in South Florida you know, we live in Jupiter, golf, golf is a language of Jupiter in, in many ways. And so, you know, individuals who participate in, you know, the after school golf program, or even like when, um, before the pandemic, when we had golf in the end, you know, we offered golf to students in the schools that were that terminology they learned, help them connect into, you know, our community because maybe if they were out somewhere and someone was talking about golf, they could participate in the conversation because they've had that experience. So in, in a lot of ways, what we offer too is a way to even connect into, you know, the community outside the Ells for Autism, you know, the, uh, the, the Ells Center of Excellence. It's a way to be able to have those conversations with, you know, people, you know, in the community about what's going on. Um, if someone's talking about golf or tennis, um, the canine connections program where, you know, we were teaching individuals about how to interact with people who have dogs and feel comfortable. So maybe if they were out, you know, walking with their family or something and someone had a dog, they knew how to approach a dog safely and, and ask the owner about their dog and, and strike up that conversation. 
That's a great point. And, and just on the flip side of that, I love the opportunities too that present as far as bringing high school students, people in the community to, to get involved with the activities that we offer at the center. Um, it's a becomes a very meaningful experience for them and also an opportunity to, to learn a little bit more about, uh, about our clients and how, how great they are. You're exactly right because I always, everybody who comes here, whether you come for a day, a week, you know, you know, for, for many years, you know, whatever, however people volunteer is they take this experience with them and whether they, you know, go into um, a profession, um, you know, that's based on helping others or they go into education or anything like that. Um, you know, they've got this wonderful background of experience to draw from. But even if somebody who becomes a business owner or, you know, runs a company, they might now have some knowledge on how to maybe look for opportunities within their organization to create jobs for individuals with, you know, intellectual or developmental disabilities because they've had this experience, they've had this very personal hands-on experience um, and understanding and, and feel like they can advocate to create um, you know, new positions or, you know, um, training opportunities or something like that. So people in the community can feel more connected. Definitely. So at the Ells for Autism Foundation, I know we offer golf, of course, we offer tennis, kickball now. Um, but Kelly, I was wondering, what sports or other activities would you like to see offered at the center in the future? Well, um, one of the areas I'd like to start to look at is pickleball. Um, it is one of the fastest growing sports across the United States. So, and I do think it is something um, that really lends itself to, uh, you know, small groups playing, a lot of good social interaction. Um, and, you know, it's, it seems to be a little bit easier than tennis for some people who, you know, tennis is a little more difficult. Um, to learn. And it, it seems like a very, you know, every time I turn around lately in the news, you know, somebody's building some new pickle court somewhere. So it's, it's becoming very infused into our community. Um, also, I'm, I'm, you know, waiting with much anticipation to the day we build our pool. Cause I do think that will open up a whole new uh, world of opportunities from, you know, swimming for, you know, fun to swimming for exercise and health to water aerobics. Um, there are like IT programs, you know, aquatic IT programs. So I think having the pool will be a, another just wonderful um, opportunity for all our, our individuals, but, and also our families. Cause I do think that's another um, wonderful thing about recreation is that it's a great way for um, families to connect a uh, lot of, you know, if you talk to a lot of parents who have had their children grow up through sports, a um, lot of maybe, you know, some of the most significant relationships they, you know, have created with other families is through their child's participation in things like sports, um, you know, especially, you know, as your child gets older, it's harder to maybe, you know, meet other families in school or things like that. But, you know, having, you know, sitting on the bleachers, the parents sitting on the bleachers, 
sometimes almost get out or get as much out of the activity as their children because it's a time for them to socialize and meet new people and have some common ground to talk, you know, to talk with another, another person. And especially for a lot of our families who maybe don't get that opportunity to do that, having their, you know, their, their children be a part of their programs. Um, you know, they, they sit in the chairs and they talk to each other or they sit out in their cars and talk to each other while, you know, their, their child, you know, participating in activity. So I think for some families, it's been, you know, it's, it's, it's important to them too, to be able to come and connect. I think a lot of times I would look over at the parents watching and you, I would see smiles even bigger than the, the participants. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Cause they are, you know, I think for a lot of families, it was, it's really important for them to see their children doing something they're enjoying, doing something that is pushing them to grow, um, finding some individual success of, of something that, that is their own, but also, you know, then the families are also, or the parents are able to talk to another parent who maybe is, you know, they're kind of, you know, going down parallel paths. And so they can share information with each other or, you know, support each other and all those kind of things. So, you know, whenever somebody comes out to one of, when we do tours and things like that, and people come out to the golf course or the tennis court or wherever we're at, I always try to point out the big picture. There's, you know, there's so much more going on than just tennis or just kickball. You know, it's, it's all those things facilitate, you know, learning and practicing good social skills, learning and practicing friendship skills, learning how to communicate with somebody who might be not your peer, but um, somebody who is older or maybe someone who is younger. So all of this is going on. It's, it's, it's kind of like a recipe where, you know, we're putting all the, the right ingredients together and making something really kind of amazing. Yeah, thank you for your great answers. I'll pass it on to Merrick now. Okay, so my first question is this. Why are recreational activities so important for individuals with ASD? Well, one thing I think that's really important is, and I felt this way for a very long time, I think it's important for everyone to kind of have their own story at the dinner table. Um, sometimes individuals with ASD or intellectual disabilities um, sometimes have to live vicariously through their families or their siblings activities. So they may not have something that they do on their own, completely not connected to anything in their family. And I think that's really important. We all need our own story. We don't, we want to share our personal experiences. And if you do everything, if everything in your life is through someone else's eyes, it, it's not personal. So I love that, you know, like I said before, so if someone comes to tennis, and you know what, today, you know, they got three balls past Coach Nate and they can get in the car and share that experience and be proud and excited. And it's just theirs. Their family don't own that. Their family wasn't even there. They're sharing their own personal story. And I think that's really a powerful thing, um, you know, for everybody to have their own personal story and be able to be proud of the things they've done, you know, individually. And I also think what's so um, amazing about where we are here at the L Center of Excellence, we have this wonderful facility so we can provide so much support and um, a safe environment 
that has everything that individuals need to succeed. And so any success they have here is because they had, um, they had everything they need to build that strong foundation, but then they continually grow and, and build upon those successes and, and become, you know, a better golfer, a better tennis player, a better friend, you know, so all those things are happening all the time. That's a, definitely a great answer. So my second question is, what rewards have you seen that have come from these experiences, from the activities, from the rec programs that you oversee? So, um, you know, this past, you know, what, 18 months now, um, it, it, we, a lot has changed. And, you know, one of the things that um, I'm really proud of, and, and you should be too, Merrick, since you were a part of it, is the... Um, the virtual programs we started and the things we've seen um, happening in that way with the Spectrum Book Club and the Connections Club and how I feel through both of those programs, I actually got to know a lot of individuals um, on a much deeper level um, because we were doing it virtually and we got to kind of peer inside their world. And for some individuals, they seem to even be more comfortable you know, connecting with us over Zoom. And so I feel like that has been a really, um, you know, kind of a new new path that we've really, um, you know, opened up for a lot of people, especially with the pandemic, you know, being there and having these programs, really, I felt for some individuals and Merrick, please um, chime in. You know, I think, I think it was good for all our mental health. <laughs> to be able to connect and see what's going on. And, and what I love, what I really love about everything I get to do here from the virtual programs to the on-campus programs to the you know once a month um, family fun nights is to see the joy, the entertain, you know, the, the enjoyment, the, the fun, the smiles, um, you know, just watching, everybody just have fun because I think that's so important in all of our lives. We, all our lives are so busy and sometimes we don't really make the time for fun. And I'm very fortunate. I get to spend all day sometimes having fun and, and watching people truly enjoy what they're doing is pretty magical. Yeah. I mean, uh, I remember one of the first times we did a virtual programming together was with the summer camp program last year. And what I didn't realize was just how friendly or how, uh, how friendly um, many, many of the clients in, in the program were to one another. They would hang out, they would go to each other's places, houses, whatever. And I, I felt like it was really, really beautiful to know that you have this group of people, but they aren't strangers to each other. They're, they're basically all friends to each other. And I, I think that that's probably something that has helped with all of these programs is it could create lasting friendships with people who may not have known each other otherwise. So that's definitely on you. No. I would have well, to I, 
I think it's I think it's kind of the nature of of recreation and sport. I'm sure Nate can probably speak to this. Is there's probably people he played tennis with growing up that are still important people in his life. That's very true. My best friends. <laughs> yes, and it and it was because tennis was your connector. You know, you came together because you guys were all in interest in tennis, and you had that. Um, you know, there was some common ground right there that you didn't have to build upon because. I mean, that's what I love about all the programs we do is it is hard to strike up a conversation with a total stranger. What do you talk about? You know, how are you going to navigate this? But if you come together for um, an activity, a class, uh, an event right there, you've got the beginnings. You know, you kind of know a little bit about each other right there because you're interested in this and I'm interested in this. And let's talk about, you know, let's start our conversation here and then, you know, learn more about each other. So I think that's no, no matter what it is from music, theater, the virtual programs to, you know, the core programs such as tennis and golf, it, it's that it's that started that conversation because they came together over a, a common um, interest. So um, I think that we've had a lot of persuasive uh, elements come through here, but still, if a parent was not sure about enrolling a son or a daughter into one of these programs, what would you say to them? Um, I, I would invite them to come out and come observe the program, um, have their son and daughter come try the program. Um, you know, as a parent myself, you always sometimes think you know more about your child than anybody else. And sometimes I think you know, our children can surprise us. And so I think being open to, you know, coming out and trying and just, you know, letting them come observe it themselves and then, you know, getting the feedback about maybe if they enjoyed it or not enjoyed it and things like that. I think that's what's really important is to come out and try because um, you, you just never know who might be interested in something. Uh, Nate and I happened to work with a young man who, um, when he first came to tennis, he didn't really seem to even want to engage. And when we practiced, when, but once Nate started hitting the balls at him, man, you had to, you had to be paying attention. Um, and he, I mean, realistically, he hit the ball very well over the net, very consistently. But if you would have just, you know, he didn't, he didn't seem to even want to do, be there. But once we actually started to do more of a play or where the balls were coming at him and more, um, you know, instead of just bouncing the ball, hitting it, but when actually Nate was hitting the ball over the net at him, we saw a whole new person. So that's what I would suggest any family is to say, come see what the program is about, meet the people who are out there, you know, meet the other, you know, participants, meet the coaches, whoever, and get a feel for what, what we're really doing and how we're all you know, how, how the program works and things like that. Um, and then decide, but also I'd always invite families, you know, some of the, some of the best ideas have also come from families. So if a family ever has an idea for maybe a new program or something their child really likes to do, um, you know, I, I would love to know and see if we can make that cut, you know, that, that, you know, take that idea and, and, and make it a reality. Um, such as to me is I'd be open to, you know, if, if I could find someone to do martial arts, I think that would be another great avenue for us to go down. So 
um, you know, everyone, everyone has different experiences and if they feel like maybe this would be an awesome thing for us to try to offer here, you know, if we can, if we can make it happen, I'm, I'm totally, I'm completely open into saying, let's try. I, I'd just like to add one thing for something we might say to parents. I would say that you, by giving your child this opportunity, you might see a side of them that you didn't know existed. Because I know a lot of people who are athletes, they play one sport or another, or even musicians, and they might be, um, they might be a very different person when they step into that sport or that element um, that, that they're really passionate, that they become really passionate about. Um, you could see a, a focus come out or e even just um, uh, an enthusiasm come out. Like Kelly was saying with, with this one individual we had in tennis, um, when, it, when it turned into time to, to rally and compete a little bit, this, this individual took on a whole different form, which was really, really cool to see. Yeah, and it's just, it's that opportunity for, for continue opportunity for growth and, and new experiences. And especially, I, I love that the foundation is really now, you know, you know, a new intense area's focus is for adult programs because we all become adults, but we don't stop growing and wanting to learn new things and have new experiences. And I think that's what's really important too, is that, you know, we, we continue to provide these opportunities for people to, to just find new ways to enjoy life because all of us throughout our lives, we change, you know, maybe, you know, a, a, some, an activity you really enjoyed, you know, maybe in your youth or your, as a teen or even young adult, that can change. And it's, but to find that feeling of a belonging to a team um, to a group of individuals who enjoy an activity is a very powerful thing. So whether it be, you know, I played tennis when I was younger, maybe tennis, you know, is harder to play now. Now I play pickleball, but I'm still getting all the, you know, a lot of, a lot of the same experiences that I, I did maybe when I was a tennis player, you know, that, that idea of being, you know, community and, and finding activities, share with others and having time to be social, um, you know, so much, you know, those, those 15 minutes before or after even activity are so important because there is a lot of conversation and socializing and, um, you know, just hanging out together. So before we uh, leave this interview, mm -hmm. um, I would like to ask, um, why is the L Center of Excellence so great for individuals with ASD? Because I think the biggest thing, and I think this is a problem, you know, to me is it's it's part of the mission is it's it's a lifelong opportunity to belong. Um, you know, so many things, especially for individuals and uh, families who have children with ASD. You know, you you know you might, you know, connect with people in elementary school, but then your child changes to a different junior high and you have to start again. And then your child goes to a different high school and you have to start again. And some of those relationships you made, you know, when your child was in elementary or junior high school have now, you know, um, 
kind of faded because you didn't have that place to connect. And that's what I think is so amazing about our foundation and about this campus is you can be here through, you know, you could be a part of this place throughout your life from, you know, the time you're young and maybe you're first diagnosed and maybe getting, you know, early intervention programs to going to school here, to participating in a rec here, um, to, you know, being part of the um, adult day training program or work experience, even working here um, to, you know, maybe later on you, you know, are just maybe just doing more rec. So it's really an amazing kind of community within the community that people can feel connected, you know, not to, not to age myself, but, you know, it's, it's kind of like cheers. It's a place where everybody knows your name. <laughs> and so it's, it's kind of, it's, it's really special in that way, no matter, you know, um, I mean, I've only been here four years and I've seen a lot of individuals, you know, grow and change and, you know, graduating and things like that, but they can still come back. There's still programs available for them to come back and connect to this community that they've been a part of. And that's what I think is really important about what the foundation does and our physical campus. It is that, it is that place that we can all, you know, kind of come together and be like, Hey, I haven't seen you for a while or, Hey, it's great to see you again in a place that's familiar and, and they feel comfortable and, and it's welcoming and so that's, that's what I think is, is important about this whole, you know, everything that goes on here at the Ellsworth Autism Foundation. It is about lifelong activities, learning, support for individuals and their families. Well, thank you so much for this fantastic interview. You are welcome. And for all your poignant, poignant insights and everything. But before we conclude the interview uh, 100%, I just would like to ask you and Nate one question. Mm -hmm. Are you awesome? <laughs> <laughs> now, if I was going to, if I was going to answer like one of our friends who says he's confident, but I'll let Nate go first. Yes, I am awesome. <laughs> oh come on Nate you have to do it with more enthusiasm than that I am awesome <laughs> yes yes well Merrick if we have to do it you have to do it too okay I'll do it next I okay. am awesome and yeah. off, I have a double I am awesome but together the whole Ells Foundation we are awesome okay yeah we are awesome <laughs> yes Thank you so much, Kelly. Oh, you are welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And now presenting today in the world of autism, starting with my co-host, Dr. Nate Chinock and his fantastic research-oriented stories. All right, very excited to bring these stories to you guys today. For my first story, I wanna highlight a fantastic program that is even more eloquently named. So most people who have gone away to college or even moved to a new school will attest that the initial adjustment poses some challenges. To help students with autism become better acclimated to, this, to their school, 
the University of Marquette in Wisconsin has launched a creative initiative with an even more creative name called the On Your Mark program. This program provides students with peer mentors, graduate coaches, and even therapy animals to help them navigate various aspects of social and academic life on campus. Now in its third year, On Your Mark serves 16 current students at the University of Marquette, a number that has doubled each year of its existence so far and is sure to become even more popular. The peer mentor is a social navigator for the students, someone they can go to with any questions or simply spend time with for social and emotional support. The graduate coach advises the students on academics, reminds them of important deadlines, and performs regular mental health check-ins. The program and its staff hold regular seminars presented by the university's occupation therapy and mental health counseling staff focusing on different social, independent living and employment skills. Most importantly, the program provides a lounge with couches, refreshments, and Nintendo. Merrick, as a graduate of Florida Atlantic University, go Owls! Could you talk a little bit about the resources that were provided to students with autism and other disabilities? Well, it is interesting that you asked that. Florida Atlantic University or FAU has a unique spot on the map for the autism community. While it does have an office for students with disabilities, it has an exceptional connection to the community through its association with CARD or the Center for Autism and Other Related Disabilities one of the biggest autism organizations in the country. While their HQ is based out of Los Angeles, California, they have a strong presence in Florida and especially through the university systems here. FAU CARD, as the association with Florida Atlantic University is called, has a rather strong infrastructure that is also very communication friendly with other local organizations. They have talks, conferences, resources, and materials, a social group for adults with autism, and a mental health task force, which I have served on. I hardly ever utilized them when I was going to FAU. I did show up to a few of their social groups in different districts, but my association with autism wasn't strong enough back then. I wouldn't have even known what to do, but I am really glad that they exist and that they uh, put the message out there uh, that, of course, you can go, you can be, you can have autism and you can go to college and you can succeed and you can prosper and be a thriving member of the community. I'm really happy that you highlighted the FAU card organization. There's some really great people over there, including Jack Scott, Mary Ellen Quinlunny, who, when I was a student there, um, assisted me greatly at least with the research I was conducting at the time but these these individuals who work there they're uh, they're as good as they come they're extremely passionate about helping students um, also just families in general find the resources they need and so as a as one other side question Merrick um, with the college experience, do you think that having a, a program like on the mark, on your mark, um, is that something that, that would be valuable at schools across the country? 
Well, I, I think that um, anyone who enters the college campus for the first time will maybe need some form of some kind of assistance because you're talking about a large change in your life. You're, if you've been to a public school, you know, you don't have to worry about who's paying for that education. Now you have to worry about how you're paying for the education, how many classes you're going to take, uh, where you're going to be, if you're going to live on campus, if you're going to uh, be outside of the city, where you're going to be in order to take your classes. Um, you probably won't even be or meet the same people that you would have met in high school. Relationships may deteriorate. Everything, it's a radical change to go from high school to a university and it may not even matter where the university is because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a drastic change in things. So I think that it's probably needed for those who may have a tougher time handling transitions and these types of changes, maybe more so than others. And I think that, yes, um, while it's, it's, okay, it, it's, it's, it's okay to have someone basically, you know, give you a tour of the college and everything. If, if you're not living in a dormitory or you're not living with, you know, an established support system or anything like that, then it can feel very alien to someone. And I think that having a program like On Your Mark would be uh, valuable uh, to any university to uh, create a transition program. I mean, even when you start work, no matter how tedious or how boring the task is, you start with a trainer. So, you know, this is a really, really good idea. Yeah, I concur. And I also really like the idea to include a lounge where students can get together and feel a little bit less uh, alone in that transitional process. And also eventually a great opportunity for, um, for, student, for students of all um, neurodiversities to, to come together and interact. Um, so I'm gonna switch now to my second story, which uh, covers the exceptional program, Acing Autism. And because it's our recreation episode and I happen to be a huge tennis fan, that's why I chose to highlight this organization. And it's a nonprofit organization founded by Dr. Shafali Jesse and Richard Sperling. Since its conception in 2008, Acing Autism has introduced the game of tennis to over 700 individuals with autism in a variety of cities throughout the U.S. This organization has been transcendent in providing a fun, lifelong recreational activity 
to individuals with autism and in showing the world that people with autism can not only learn, but also excel in various sports. Similar to the Yells for Autism Foundation, Acing Autism has flourished due to an excellent staff and a devoted team of volunteers. The mission of the organization is to continue to provide tennis classes to more and more cities across the country and to reach as many participants as possible. Before becoming a coach at the Yells for Autism Foundation, I volunteered at several Acing Autism classes conducted at Florida Atlantic University. This was easily one of the most rewarding experiences of my life and was a major driving force in motivating me to do work in this field. I'm really privileged to be a member of the tennis staff at the Yells Foundation and have gotten to observe, observe the profound joy that playing this sport can have on individuals with ASD and their families. The Ells for Autism Foundation is so unique in that in addition to tennis, there's the offering of golf classes and other team sports like kickball. There's something for everyone, and I strongly encourage people who listen to this podcast to volunteer at our center if they're in the South Florida area. It's truly a rewarding experience that you won't soon forget. If you're tuning in from other areas, check out Acing Autism events in the future. And I've challenged a lot of my tennis friends to get involved with this organization and do some volunteer work. Not only is it a meaningful experience, but the joy is really contagious. So Merrick, what is your background with recreational activities like? Well, that's quite a good question. I was always a slow kid, even when I was in shape and thin, I would take three hours to complete a mile back in elementary school. I'd be afraid of the ball and playing dodgeball, and I wouldn't have a good throwing arm for any sports that would need that. And to tell you the truth, when I didn't need to take any PE classes anymore, I stopped taking them. I was always more of a nerd than a jock anyways, as they would say, though I'd find myself attracted to female jocks when I was growing up. (laughs) Still, there were some good moments back then athletically. I had some great times going for walks around my neighborhood and the old BNA trail, which some Maryland residents may remember. I would go skiing constantly. It became my favorite sport and one of my favorite things to do. I also was on a soccer team way, way, way back, which I really enjoyed and got an MVP Nerf ball once and really liked hockey. Even if like soccer, I was surprised how aggressive it was, but I was also surprised at how good I was in maintaining my composure in the midst of all the aggression. Which brings me to wrestling. So in the ninth grade, I was taking a fitness for life course. And we had a wrestling uh, session, a few like classes in wrestling. And then I came head to head with what I believe was the champion, maybe the heavyweight champion of our school, and I wrestled him. And immediately I was victorious, and the coach uh, actually asked me if I would want to be a part of the wrestling team. As much as I probably was very excited at the offer, I had to say no, because I felt like 
I, I really wasn't that big into physicality and I really didn't see myself as an athlete. Now, of course, I could have become the next uh, WWE champion or um, I could have become, uh, I don't know, some kind of big professional wrestler, but that wasn't really in the cards for me. However, my physical activity life didn't end there. I would go, I would be on a bowling league for years and I would also, uh, for one stint for a season, I played on a special needs uh, kickball league, which all of it was very, very fun. But, uh, and I also, uh, I've never done regular golf, but I've really, really like mini golf. But I don't think I have like any kind of great skill in sports or, or anything athletic, but um, it can be quite fun. It can be a lot of fun participating in all these different activities. Definitely. Well, that's quite an extensive background. I'm impressed. Well, thank you. Just, just because I'm the nerd of the podcast doesn't make me uh, utterly without any kind of uh, uh, jockish uh, features. <laughs> no, no doubt. You, you, you see start... my uh, muscles when I when I put my ab up or when I put my arm up and I try to grow muscle. I think that it still stays beneath ground, like it's a seed that doesn't want to be watered. <laughs> I, um, I, I'll have, I'll have to try that sometime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. Well, as I think I've mentioned before, uh, we've probably played this tune to death on the podcast, but you know, tennis has been a huge, has had a huge impact on my life with just, not only helping me to establish goals and keep maintain structure, but also just making friends. And, and I think it's, it's such a cool thing striving together uh, towards a common goal, which we talk about with Kelly as well, but I'm going to turn it on over now to you, Merrick, for your additional stories here. Well, you're definitely going to be on the hot seat on some more questions related to your big uh, passion in life. All right, bring it on. Becoming, the, uh, let's see, uh, let me think about some kind of, uh, 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 no, me, Andre yeah. Agassi was soccer, right? He wasn't tennis. He was tennis. He was oh, the he best was tennis. tennis. Yep. Yeah, you'll become the next Andre Agassi. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I might I might choose uh, Roger Federer over okay. Agassi, but uh, <laughs> I'll take I'll take the compliment. All right. Okay. So speaking of athletes as role models, my first story is about an individual named Sam Holness who is a triathlete with autism. 
Some of our listeners may have heard about Chris Nickick, the first individual with Down syndrome to complete an Ironman triathlon. One of the most difficult one-day sporting events that has been held in Kalua, Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii since 1981. The triathlon is called this because it asks for athletic competence in swimming, running, and cycling. While Mr. Nickick has been given high honors as what may be the first Ironman, as anyone who completes the Ironman triathlon is called with a disability, a Londoner in his 20s wishes to make history too as the first individual with autism to become an Ironman. His name is Sam Holness, or you can call him Super Sam. Sam Holness has a record of defying expectations. There were murmurs when he was really little that he would never succeed in school, yet he ended up graduating from a university with a degree in sports science. He was also never encouraged to take part in the athletic activities at a school with teachers not equipped to handle him, yet he has been said that his abilities are so strong that they could compete against athletes with no disabilities. His weaker motor skills, which have also hampered my progress in some areas, caused him difficulties when taking up cycling, but he ended up mastering it. His father, Anthony Holness, is his primary coach and best friend. In his mind and the minds of others, what sets Sam apart is his concentration or perseveration, resilience, and comfort with repetition, all parts of his autistic profile, which has led Sam to conclude that autism isn't just a condition, but a superpower that he has. Throwing in on his goal to such a degree as he can, heightens self-esteem, reduces stress, and eliminates boredom for himself. To follow more of Super Sam's journey, visit his site or his Facebook page. Nate, what are some lessons your father taught you in helping you get your tennis arm? (laughs) I really appreciate the question. First of all, what a cool story. Uh, Just so inspirational all that all that Sam's been able to accomplish as far as my dad goes and the impact he had on me uh, with sports uh, definitely you you have to thank your parents for some of the the physical uh, abilities um, you know but um, also just more much more importantly mentally my dad um, he's a very driven person and he taught me from a young age that um, if you're, you know, if you're feeling well enough to move, that you're, you're feeling well enough to practice, even though, even when you're feeling sore or tired or um, you're lacking a little bit of motivation, um, part of getting really good at something is that perseverance and, and finding a way to, to practice and show up to work, even on days when, you don't feel like it. And that happens to all of us. But um, the, the most important thing he taught me was that um, if, you, if you're prepared and you put in the work, then you always have a chance against your opponent, even if they have superior athletic ability, strength, speed, whatever it may be, being prepared and having a cool and collected mind those are two skills that you can very much control and use to your advantage. All right. Well, that's, uh, those are some really good lessons. (laughs) He also taught me the importance of eating a good meal, 
before a, a match. You know, I was about to make a joke about that one with what my <laughs> father taught me, but it wasn't going to include before a match. <laughs> yeah, I guess it doesn't have to end with before a match. It could be before before a nice nap, too. <laughs> or just eating a good meal. <laughs> the value right. of eating a good meal. Uh, our, our dad's taught us well. Yeah. <laughs> Made us grow into the young, uh, burly men we are today. <laughs> exactly. Are we thanking them or blaming them? <laughs> I don't know, you know. I think Whoa. that uh, spice of life, you know, it's uh, one of my biggest passions is discovering all types of food and the like. And, you know, in that way, my dad nudged me in that direction. So if you ever hear about me on some food network or some kind of uh, culinary show, or maybe I'm traveling the world, uh, going through things. Well, it's, it's part of my father's blood in me. <laughs> oh, I really hope we can have that interview with you one day, Mary. Yeah. Yeah. Then I'll basically say, Oh, you're, you're, you're just a regular person to me. You're not my friend anymore. Bug off. <laughs> I've got Martin Scorsese trying to talk to me about something. More important. Don't forget about the little people. Yeah. I, I won't. I, I, I promise I won't. Then I'll cross my fingers. <laughs> I can't wait to become snotty and uh, a snob and completely... Uh, downgrading anyone who uh isn't uh auteur of the food market as i am <laughs> i just pictured the uh the, in the movie ratatouille the, <laughs> the the character that reviews the meals yeah i think i think that that you turn into that personality a little bit yeah you can just call me Duke Egber. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm a part of the of culinary royalty. Uh, gents and ladies, all will have to know the taste of proper soup when I'm around. <laughs> all restaurateurs will bow down before me as I taste this excellent moist croissant. See, you're a natural. Yeah, then I'll have to develop a very, a very uh, upper class British accent, and and I'll start calling you chum. <laughs> hey, chum, or something. I was I was gonna say this feels a little too comfortable for you. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, Downton Abbey. <laughs> Sorry, is that too obscure of a reference? I, I apologize. Maybe yeah. some of my peers in the 80 and up crowd will know about that. Uh, okay, so the next story is called Testimony to Sports Helping Autism. In one of England's biggest newspapers, the Manchester Guardian, there was an insightful article written in 2016 by Ad... Haranad Finn that I would like to summarize. 
The piece is titled, If You Don't Talk, It Doesn't Work, How Sport Can Help Autistic People. And it is primarily about how an individual, Dan, Daniel Minot, who wasn't very sociable or interested in athletic activities, was when the Change Foundation, a British-based agency looking out for troubled youth, came to his school when he was 15 and encouraged him to become athletic. Well, as once the suggestion ended up turning him into a successful coach for a variety of sports, he even became the development officer at the foundation. He appreciates general therapeutic practices, but he sees sports as being able to change a person with autism naturally. How focusing on the game can cause greater development in social skills, companionship skills, and a greater well-being. It also can reduce obesity, which is an epidemic in the autism community. Negative self-stimming, self-destructive behavior, and can help one's attention span. All of that can be helped in both individual sports and team sports, with Mr. Minot championing the latter due to his experiences with it. But one of the key points of the article is about effective coaching. What Daniel does as a coach is to build trust and start slowly, focusing on an activity or a practice routine for as long as it takes until the person is ready to join in with a group. That coaches have to adapt to the wide variety of attributes inherent to individuals with autism is also something brought up by Amy Webster, coordinator of the Active for Autism program at the National Autistic Society. Needless to say, I really enjoyed the article and the insights therein because as we see time and time again, physical activities, sports and recreation can have a positive impact on individuals with ASD. So Nate, two questions for you. What makes playing tennis so rewarding to you and what are the strengths you bring to your coaching style? Very good questions. I want to take a step back just a second and answer this question, what makes playing sports rewarding to me? I want to answer it from a little bit of a broader perspective and talk about what make what makes playing sports so rewarding to, to everybody. And I want to focus on the idea that I think to some extent, we as humans, we're predisposed to seek out these play opportunities. From very, from very young ages, play is how we learn about the environment around us. us it's how we learn what's safe, who's, who's a friend, who's a foe to some extent. And so we have, I think, an innate desire to want to engage in play. And what's so great about sports and structured sports is that it provides more of a fine-tuned opportunity for us to engage in such a play uh, situation, but to do so where there's clear-cut goals, rules, and, um, and, op and opportunities at stake. And so for everybody playing sports, it's really an opportunity to, um, to, to sort of live out, um, you know, some of those, those needs that we have to engage in play. Now, for me personally, playing tennis, well, even though it's an individual sport, I think the part of it that's most rewarding to me was having the opportunity to, to play on a team in high school. Uh, my team uh, at Spanish River High School, um, winning this 
a state championship with them was one of the best moments I've had. And then getting to play college tennis at UNC Charlotte, whatever it was, those are relationships that I still have to this day. There's my teammates are incredibly important people in my life. And I think with sports, they are, it, it is a great uniter for bringing people together who are maybe from different backgrounds, have many differences personality wise. Um, on my college team, I was one of only three American players with 10 players from Europe, South America, other places in the world. And it's such a cool opportunity to work towards a common goal, really commit yourself to something. There's valuable lessons in that. But for me, it's the team element of it that is just the coolest thing to really um, put your mind towards something uh, with, with people you care about. And then as far as what, what are the strengths that I bring to a coaching style, I think it might sound a little bit cliche, but I would say my biggest strength is that I'm able to make tennis a fun sport. So at the end of the day, you can focus on technique. You can focus on all on training, all the skills that might make a player successful. But if you're not having that, those opportunities for fun and engagement, then the experience that a player has is not going to be nearly as rewarding and they're not going to develop that intrinsic motivation that they'll ultimately need to, to help they, you want them to develop a serious, um, a serious fondness for the sport, something that will push them to, to want to practice even on a difficult day. Um, and pertaining to the classes we do at the L center, we re we really strongly emphasize having fun in our lessons. That's why, with all of our lessons, yes, we focus on technique, we focus on skills, but at some point in the lesson, we break it down and we allow our players to rally with the coaches or rally with each other and create these opportunities to compete. And those are the things that are really, really memorable, right? Um, very few children are going to go home and tell their parents, you know, I did a better job of following through on my forehand today. What they're going to say is I played doubles with my friend uh, Merrick today and we beat the coach. And those are, those are the, the best memories that they can take away from the experience. Um, otherwise, other strengths to the coaching style. Um, I, I think um, this is not just for me, but for coaches in general doing scaffolding is very important. When you're able to achieve one skill, don't stagnate there, don't stay there for too long. Keep trying to extend and build um, additional skills to the player. And that will also help maintain their interest for much longer. So those are my two cents on playing tennis and my coaching style. Well, I will say that it definitely isn't cliche because you didn't use the word heart once. 
that, that one of the strengths you bring is you bring a lot of heart to it. You bring a lot of compassion. You, <laughs> you bring a lot of focus. Instead, you're basically a walking, talking Nintendo system. We bring fun to your home. Here, have, play some Wii Sports. Oh, you want to play tennis on the Wii? Have some fun in your game. Something like that. <laughs> it's it's really the truth. It's uh, it's it's the best way to to get engagement and ultimately to to teach those skills that maybe maybe aren't as fun. You you got you got to provide just enough fun to keep the interest. Okay. <laughs> so uh, basically, making the little noises, uh, just dressing up as a clown. Um, I don't know. I can't really think too much about how to make sports fun other than telling a bunch of lame, bad jokes and uh, dressing up as a clown and making little noises. Well, I do tell a lot of bad jokes and my outfits are probably borderline clownhood sometimes. So, yeah, I think that sounds about right. Yeah, you just need one of those noses that you can just honk on it. You can just basically onk, onk, onk. But uh, <laughs> that, that, that's, uh, this, is, this is what we're operating on. I, I can't exactly put in like a sound effects machine doing that. I have to do it myself. It's fun. It's DIY Wait. entertainment for everyone. Wait, that wasn't a machine doing those noises? No, I, I didn't use one of those machines that uh, some people have. I, I'm, I'm just doing it myself. That was, that was spot on. You ought to hear me do the uh, break <laughs> in Yellow Submarine where they have all that stuff with the water buckets and everything. I can just do that by myself without any water buckets. <laughs> That's good stuff, Mary. All right. So I... Okay, so before we go, we want to thank the foundation for believing in us to be able to do a podcast for any willing listeners. And because of that, we will be seeing you again in August with some August coverage on us on the, and the autistic community in general. So as usual, what do you say when you hit a golf ball and it accidentally almost comes into contact with something or someone. Four. I hope. I wish that I could fly so high. Oh, like a butterfly. I fly into the air so high, oh, like a butterfly. A moth is a butterfly without any colors, but what's beautiful is what's inside. Maybe a moth is just a butterfly trying to hide. Well, I'm just a caterpillar crawling around, knowledge in my head, but my feet on the ground. Soon I'll be like an angel in the sky, like a butterfly. I wish that I could fly so high, oh, like a butterfly. I'll 
Oh, 